0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, January 17th, 2022. I'm John Puddlehorst, the editor of Commentary. And we are all here today. Executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And from the balmy Caribbean to the snow-packed central New Jersey uh, Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi Noah. Hi John. So that's pretty. It's a pretty stark transition. You went from being like on a catamaran in the sun to like driving white knuckle down ninety five, <laughs> trying to get home yesterday afternoon, right? Yes, almost al- close seventy eight. For oh, the 78 purpose of details. Even that goes yeah, yeah for everybody who knows so the highways yeah, east west right
1: <laughs> made a very ill ill considered decision to attend a kid's birthday party an hour away and yeah just uh like you said white knuckling it uh, down a highway for an hour last night in a pretty blinding snowstorm unfortunately this morning we get up and it's just all ice so listener while you're listening to this i am muscling my way up the driveway as we speak
0: yes yes noah is both uh, producing the podcast shoveling and i de icing the driveway and about like making a frittata like that's 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 the <laughs> kind of that's the kind of Monday morning that Noah does yeah, as, as typically I would say right with a little bit of work right um okay so uh Of course, uh, a lot of us were, you know, sort of found ourselves in that classic uh, old position Uh, we haven't been in in quite a while, glued to cable news and bouncing around uh, on Saturday um, because of the Colleyville, Texas hostage-taking at uh, Congregation Beth Israel, um, which, of course, ended... uh, with a, a swat team rescue of the four hostages one of them being the rabbi uh charles uh, S- uh, Citron walker um uh, from what we know uh the swat team um you know they, they spent like 12 hours talking to the to the hostage taker of Malik Akram and then uh, at some point uh, they probably must have determined that there was no larger conspiracy going on or that there were you know that he wasn't going to trigger other acts or that he wasn't able to press a button and blow up other stuff so uh, they came in they 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 uh, launched a, a flash bomb uh the purpose of which is to distract uh, make a very loud noise and distract everybody and then they must have just shot him in the head and taken the taken the four hostages out um it's a it seems like a remarkably um uh, clean and uh, efficient uh, handling of a of a what could have been an absolutely monstrous incident uh, and and was a monstrous incident just on the face of it, some uh random uh Brit comes to the United States, uh finds a synagogue that is uh, close to the prison uh in which um, Uh, Siddiqui this um, fascinating case like a a MIT Brandeis PhD gets radicalized ends up in Afghanistan uh, is arrested and then at the uh, during her interrogation attempts to murder the people who are interrogating her and is extradited here and is now serving, I think, sixty-eight years in this in 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 prison. For some reason, this is a case I didn't know about. Nor did I know about the fact that it had become a cause celeb that uh, that uh, people were actually actively petitioning to get her released. Her sentence was too long, including, of course, the usual suspect, Linda Sarser, founder of the uh, one of the founders of the Women's March, ousted from the Women's March as a result of a fantastic. Uh, reporting by tablet, uh, revealing the degree to which the Women's March senior leadership was being motivated by open and outright anti-Semitism, refusal to want Jews in the leadership roles and this and that and the other thing. And there she is, part and parcel of the um, Free Siddiqui movement uh, that this this hostage taker uh, came to personify course, people thought that he was her brother for a while, because he kept saying, uh, call my sister, I want to talk to my sister, we have to let my sister free, you know, like that. Um, uh, Okay, so that's, that's, that's pretty much the, the, the the summary. The only two things I will point out is that it really took almost no time for people to start saying this is really bad, because it's going to provoke Islamophobia. As Jews were being held in a synagogue hostage for their life, uh, the thing that was on the minds of progressives was the threat of Islamophobia. And secondly, um, though, of course, it was all over cable news and everything, when the dog didn't bark, when, when, when the deaths uh, didn't happen, um, the New York Times didn't uh, even put it on the front page of the physical newspaper.
2: And it's worse than just the fact that they that a lot of progressives were tweeting, oh, this is going to this is going to spark Islamophobia. We see the same pattern over and over again in situations where someone who's generally embraced or identified with with a minority group on the left when they commit a crime, it's always, oh, it's mental illness or it's some excuse making here. It can't possibly be hatred or anti-Semitism or racism or any of the things that that even when the perpetrators clearly express those feelings, the mainstream media does not want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Meanwhile, if anyone on the right side of the aisle does anything wrong, it's always white supremacy. And even in this case, we heard not just that this is going to spark Islamophobia, but that this was an act of white supremacy when an Islamic radical is holding Jews hostage in a synagogue. It's absolutely Orwellian. And I know that term gets used all the time, but watching the news coverage of this event was shocking to see just how much uh, false information was being couched in these terms that trigger the trigger words for the left that, that get progressives riled up. It's, it's really, really a, a dereliction of the duty of the journalists and the, and the people on the left who are doing this. And that wasn't coming but,
1: from just random social media people. Right. That was the attorney general of the state of Michigan, Dan and Nessel, <coughs> who said, you know, maybe these are white supremacists who are taking hostages here. <coughs> All your experience and understanding of world events, notwithstanding. It's like the the
3: pulse shooting. Uh, what was that? What year was that uh,
1: 2016? 2016, 2016.
3: 2016. 2016. And, uh, you, you know, that maybe? was very clearly ISIS inspired. Uh, uh, the shooter said as, as much uh, in plain language. And the story became one uh, uh, about um, American homophobia.
0: Right. Well, so so one of the again, just to bounce around back to the media. So um, the 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 tweet that uh, that drove everybody crazy came from the Associated Press Uh, breaking. The FBI says the Texas synagogue hostage takers demands were specifically focused on issue not connected to the Jewish community. So. Uh, that issue being, of course, the release of Siddiqui. Um, but uh, now, to this, it's interesting because the issue isn't that the FBI said this, because if you look at the story that the AP filed, what they say is, I'm trying to find the specific paragraph, they say that the FBI said it that way. But in fact, the FBI official who is not quoted, uh, DeSarno. Um, uh, where is this? Where is the name of this person? Uh, FBI uh, special agent in charge, Matt DeSarno. This is how it said, said the hostage taker was specifically focused on an issue not directly connected to the Jewish community. And there was no immediate indication that the man was part of any broader plan. But there's no direct quote from DeSarno. And I, I wonder whether he said that.
1: Oh, because it's on I camera.
0: Can't...
1: Oh he was, really? He was speaking on camera. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I just watched it. I'm sorry. Okay, so Is I'm not, very specifically? So I'm, wrongly, I'm wrongly blaming the AP. So okay, so it was singular his quote was that we were that the attacker was quote singularly focused on one issue that was not quote specifically related to the Jewish community. He later added, quote, we are continuing to work to find motive. Um, and there's a 19 second clip, so I don't have the context right. around it, but those were direct quotes. Right. Only this morning, only this morning has the FBI related, said specifically that this was an act of terror, something that the president said, actually, offhandedly um, over the weekend, while also sort of hemming and hawing about motives that we'll never fully quite comprehend, but still at least went out in front of it and said specifically that this was an act designed to terrorize.
2: And we should note that the person that this guy thought he would free with the hostage taking in a synagogue when she was on trial demanded DNA testing of every juror to ensure that no juror was Jewish is a is an absolutely rabid anti-Semite, has written letters from jail to to public officials, including President Obama at the time, saying basically justifying the Holocaust. I mean, this person is one of the most rabid anti-Semites ever. And so this man thought he would free her. So the idea that there's really no connection to anti-Semitism, let's not rush to judgment is absolutely ridiculous. Well, not rushing to judgment isn't a
1: terrible thing, though. It's it's the problem no, is that they do rush no, 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 to judgment but, when they shouldn't.
2: But 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 the but the whole the premise
3: of of separating anti-Semitism out from Jihad is preposterous. That's that's the thing here. Right. Right. That's exactly I mean, right. It's if if the, the issue he's concerned with is um uh, as a sort of Islamist conspiracy theory and uh, which which involves the Jews, of course. It, so it, it is directly and it doesn't it does directly involve the, the Jewish community.
0: Right. And he 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 decided to go to a synagogue because he figured that was the um, that was the shortest route to getting what he wanted. I mean, take some Jews hostage. Jews were on America and the media and the banks and everything. And, you know, they'll they'll cut through all the red tape. All right. Uh, all right. I'm going to be the
1: 10th man here, though, because whenever okay. this happens on yes. the on the other side, whenever there's a white nationalist who engages in an act of violence and then the, half the press and all the liberal commentary at Rush to pile on to law enforcement and say, why aren't you calling this terrorism? Why don't you deem this terrorism right now in lieu of an investigation? It's obviously terroristic. Why aren't you calling it that? Because an act of terrorism does have a legal definition and it does take a minute or two to determine whether or not that legal definition has been met. So when law enforcement declines to deem it such, it's because they have protocols that they have to observe, which otherwise prejudices the investigation.
0: Fair enough. And I, I think, um, as I say, since I got this got this wrong uh, myself just now and blame the AP for something it reported on accurately, uh, I'm going to be a little a little shamefaced uh, about about this. But um, the thing is that uh, there was he he showed up in the shul and there was a live stream going on and people watching the live stream. Uh, which uh, were uh, presumably very few in number. It's a very small synagogue. There were only four people in attendance as it was. And there are only 150 families uh, that are, are are members of the synagogue. Um, but uh, somebody managed who was on the live stream to tape uh, like 29 minutes of his rant, uh, which you can hear if you go to Barry Weiss's substack, because she a friend of hers was what was a is, a is a member of the synagogue and sent her sent her the audio and she posted it and um uh one of the reasons that they might have been more hesitant about saying that this was an act of terrorism in the sense that it was sort of organized purposeful you know is that um he was clearly very disordered and um his rant was uh uh, Rabbi, you're very nice. Uh, you're all. I I I don't want to hurt anybody. Of course, I will. Don't come near me. But I I don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, you know, it's just, and you can't understand half of what he's saying. Um, as obviously he's not speaking directly into a microphone. Um, I I I think that there's reason to speculate that um, they determined, or whoever it was that was talking to him. Because he insisted on calling uh, my, my friend, Angela Buckdahl, the rabbi of Central Synagogue in New York City, uh, for reasons we don't yet know. She's the one who called the FBI to say, um, there's a guy in Colleyville, Texas, who has taken people hostage in a synagogue. She was the one who let them know that this was happening. Um, that they that they spent uh, uh, they were methodical about spending time trying to figure out just what was in his arsenal, whether he had other uh, you know whether he had confederates whether you know he had a larger plan whether there were other things that were going to be triggered by this thing and all of that and i think when they determined that none of that was the case that this was some kind of weird um you know uh one man show uh that was when they felt comfortable going in and 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 taking him out and and releasing the hostages it's also important to note that while uh, the rabbi uh, Citron Walker said that he was uh, calm during the day the last hour before they before they actually ended up going in uh, he was getting more and more desperate extreme and and frightening and that and that uh, uh and that it wasn't going to it wouldn't it wouldn't have lasted too much longer without without violence um the question is what this means uh, in, 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 in in larger bore and I, I don't think it means anything uh, except the response to it by which I mean um, I mean it means something uh, to, because it's a reminder that Jews are the focus of the world's most dangerous conspiracy theory make up 0.2 percent of the population on earth and are the subject of uh, most, not, not, only, not only two-thirds of the hate crimes in the United States, but probably most of the hate crimes on the planet. Like if you were to characterize things as hate crimes, which I don't like as a legal definition. I mean, you know, 10% of the hate crimes on Earth fifty for 0.2% of the population, um, you know, and this is historically the case. So uh, it's a good reminder of that. There's nothing new about it. Question it, is what people do with the information, what 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 the what the elites do with the information, what the po- political system does and, you know, how it's talked about.
3: I, I think it might mean something else, too. I don't want to get ahead of myself on this because it, it might not. But, the, you know, the, as you said at the start of the podcast, John, this is something that we haven't seen for a while. And um, I think it's just important to note that the, the context here. Um, with the rise of the Taliban. American retreat, kind of loss of 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 sort of national purpose and generally taking our eye off the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if once again we start seeing terrorist incidents here, the West generally sort of all over the globe. Um, I'm not I'm not I can't draw a direct line. Well, we from have been Afghanistan to this, but
1: it's it's something to keep in mind. We have we been have. a British MP was assassinated in the wake of Afghanistan. That's right. That's right. Um One of
0: the, I mean, the para, all the parallels to the 1970s being the parallels to the 1970s, of course, the 1970s were a decade of open terrorist acts, both domestic and foreign, domestic in the United States, 1,100 bombings in the United States by radical leftists in the you know, from 1970 to 1972, right? Maoist, uh, anarcho-syndicalist bombers uh, targeting military recruitment stations, libraries, all sorts of things, um, and then, of course, in Europe, it was just a charnel house of 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 Arab terrorism, um, uh, and, and and domestic radical terrorism too. The bader Meinhof gang there, uh, you know, the the kidnapping and assassination of the Italian prime minister uh, Aldo Moro, who was captured by the Red Brigades in Italy um and then all these incidents where uh the Palestinians knew that if they if you know anybody was in jail in Germany or France or you know in, in any major country outside of Britain uh all they had to do was take some people hostage and they would get them out so uh you know this is a parallel to the 1970s we desperately don't want to see happen uh uh, but since everything else that's going on and we can talk a little bit about new york uh over the weekend everything else that's going on is 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 reeking of the 1970s of this bizarre replay of you know what was probably the worst decade in 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 america possibly outside of you know the civil war the the worst domestic decade in american history um and and the and the Great but we
2: Depression.
3: have
0: all the we have all the bad stuff now, but none of the fun. We have all the bad things from the 70s, but, but
3: we're locked down in masks and we can't do anything. <laughs> right. Well,
2: and can I just can I just uh, there's one other point I want to make about this, because I think it's important for listeners to imagine in terms of the response that you say, John, and I agree, that's something we should continue to watch. Uh, do the thought experiment but flip the roles, right? How, if some, if this had been an attack by someone on the right and major organizations on the right had been defending the person who's inspired the attack, which uh, CAIR, the major Islamic organization, which did denounce this attack, but has in the past- Oh, so hosted, big of them. So right, big exactly. Of them a, after the attack. The thanks, that, oh, thanks so much. Whoops.
0: I really feel a lot of, you know, a but lot has of also hosted and...
2: No, but they've also hosted these fundraisers with Sarsour and other anti-Semites to, to promote this woman, the, the jailed woman's cause. If this were reversed, first I don't you absolutely know what would be a nonstop. First of all, it would be nonstop on the news cycle. It would be on the front page of The New York Times. It would be a a constantly held up as evidence of everything that's wrong with the right side of the political aisle in this country. And you will see this disappear, just like we saw Wakisha, the the slaughter in Wakisha disappear, just like you see all of these other crimes that are committed by folks on the left disappear from the headlines immediately. So there is really I think if you try to if you follow this stuff from the side of the aisle that we're all on, and particularly if it's about anti- semitism the ease with which our mainstream culture wants to just make it go away that's got to stop that's got to stop
3: except they they, they don't want to make it go away when it can be linked to the right and to trump exactly. then that's then true they care okay. so much about anti-semitism
2: and right? there's plenty of anti-semitism on the right from the trump type or, people i mean i don't want to i don't want to pretend that there's not at all but you're you're right ape that that's the only time they, it gets attention
0: Jews are the canary in the coal mine. That's all I gotta say. And that's why you gotta watch this and see whether whether, whether stuff whether stuff happens more along this line. As, as as Abe points out, Jews are the canary in the coal mine. If there's going to be a if there's going to be a rise in this kind of disorder, these incidents and that, it's not going to stop here. And it is going to folk focus disproportionately on Jews because that's 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 what happens. Um uh, and uh one 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 uh, advantage to the larger population of this um, 2000 year conspiracy theory against the Jews that seems to allow people to attach these uh, ideas and think that they can dehumanize, they treat Jews in this dehumanized fashion and go after individual Jews as though they are representatives of the whole, um, is that uh, it can serve as an early warning system to everybody else if the warnings are taken and heeded. And if it is if it is understood as such, which, which it is not. Um, and of course we have the uh, continually disgraceful behavior of the Jewish left in, as I say, like uh, being uh, among the people who advance, bit, we're advancing most quickly uh, the danger of rising Islamophobia as a response to this incident. So uh, we will, we will be monitoring that uh, closely to the extent that it is uh, monitorable. Um, I just think I'm still struck by the fact that the New York times didn't have it on the, on the, on the print edition front page. I mean, that is, um, uh, that is an astonishing fact and it's, uh, it's sort of like what nothing. I mean, no one got killed. I mean, I'm sure that was the, that was the, that was the idea. I don't, uh there will be a reckoning for that too trust me there, there's going to be reporting on that and pushback, and there's going to be some explanation given for 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 the times behavior it certainly led the the website uh to be fair which is now i think has four or five times the readership of the print edition so i mean you can you know you can maybe overread this or overestimate it but nonetheless um with that, let me uh, let me pull back and talk to you guys about Bambi, our first advertiser, because uh, when running a business, HR issues can kill you, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and those HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business to provide a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. So from onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day all for just $99 a month, month-to-month, no hidden fees, you cancel anytime. time. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash commentary. Again, spelled BAM to the B-E-E.com slash commentary. Now let's talk about... Um, uh, rising social disorder uh, outside of this uh, terrorist incident, um, as exemplified by by New York City, which uh, has uh, is now showing real signs of a of an everything old is new again, uh, return to the nightmarish days of the 1970s. Something we've talked about uh, on uh, again and again, but we now have. Uh, cascading incidents in New York, you know, where there was a significant crime increase and murder increase and all of that. But just in the last two weeks, um, uh, a robbery at a Burger King in which the 20 year old uh, cashier, uh, d- complied with the demands of the burglar who then shot her in the face and killed her. We have multiple, in, multiple cases of people being pushed on subway platforms, uh, the most uh, people being robbed uh, in subway stations, the most uh, horrifying being a a woman standing on the Times Square subway platform uh, Saturday morning and um, a, you know, homeless, whatever you want to call a street person uh, just sort of uh, ran up behind her, pushed her onto the tracks and she was killed by an oncoming subway Um, and uh, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, And of course the, um, we have the, uh, the, new, the newly minted Manhattan DA saying he doesn't want to prosecute crimes, and he doesn't want to seek life sentences, and uh, he wants to knock down most felonies to misdemeanors. Um, and Eric Adams, the new mayor, uh, who got himself uh, elected in part by, by um, talking tougher on crime than his fellow Democrats, has been caught a little flat-footed. Uh, rather than kind of grabbing the bull by the horns and saying, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. We're not going to put up with this. He said, he said two or three things in the last couple, in the last week or week and a half that are very troubling. One, he said, well, you know, of of the DA, Alvin Bragg, he's a friend of mine. I think we can work together. You know, we have to, he, prosecutors have discretion. And then in response to the subway violence said, Things aren't really more violent on the subway. That's just fear. Like people are just perceiving it that way. Um, That's a very bad sign. I mean, it's a very bad sign for him. And uh, this is the thing I've been warning people about who have been getting irrationally exuberant about Adams. He's a flake and a weirdo, and he always has been in New York politics. Uh, And assuming that he was going to live up to the kind of um, tough guy role that he decided to take, when uh, his administrative choices in the first couple of weeks were all very weird, nepotistic. He appointed as deputy mayor, um, uh, a former police uh, uh, leading figure in the police department who uh, was under multiple investigations for fraud and misbehavior and was essentially forced to resign before before he could be uh, driven out, Philip Banks. And then he also appointed his own brother, to like the two or the, the 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 second or third level job uh, in the in the NYPD before uh, outcry had him move him over to communications or something like that. Uh, so these are not good things. You know he is he is creating a small as people do, politicians do, creating a small cabal of uh, people who owe everything to him and are trustworthy. Only to you know that we'll we'll owe everything and we'll protect him. Um, but um, but th- this is a moment of, of real crisis uh, in which that new, this question of whether or not there's a new way for Democrats to talk about these issues, pull themselves back from the brink of the last two years and refocus their energies on, on being uh, sane and rational um, uh, exponents of a of of, of public order uh, and 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 how to handle public order and the net necessity for uh, reinstating public order after a couple of years of disorder um, is not looking good so far. Um, if he's if he's like the leading example, having been elected in America's largest city, um, which became the safest large city in America and is now uh, moving very much uh, in a in a in a terrible. Uh, direction. Yeah, um,
3: it's something that you know
0: that De Blasio might have said. You
3: know, there's the that the the there's no real fear; it's just the perception of fear. And he would have been savaged for it, you know. Um, and uh, so should Eric Adams. I mean, the question is, you know, Adams does seem uh, extraordinarily vain, and I don't know that you know, I don't know that he wants to uh, work towards uh, this sort of an understanding of his maritalty that you know that where he's stinking up the joint so he he may in time sort of have to you know grab the bull by the horns and and actually do something but we'll see
2: I, I was struck over the weekend and I sent to you guys um on our on our text thread uh a review in the New York Times book review of two new books about criminal justice and race and the reviewer is David Latt who's a smart guy But the review was uh, the the two books in question, one written by Laura Coates uh, called Just Pursuit and the other called by uh, Kristen Henning called The Rage of Innocence. It's all about how uh, black youth, in particular, criminalized unfairly, et cetera, et cetera. And it's you know, front page review, of the book review, the prime real estate for if you're a, if you're an author, um, this lengthy essay about these books, sort of praising all their insights and storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing missing from this, besides the repeated repeating uncritically the authors' claims that the system is entirely rigged against um, African Americans was any evidence or issuance or or even mention of crime statistics like the perpetrators of crime so it if, if i i i for me it was a reminder that the left side of the aisle really can't get at where this problem begins with and look at crime data and try to figure out solutions and and particularly violence in some of these uh crime neighborhoods and why it perpetuates, you know, generationally and poverty perpetuates generationally, like really look at this complicated problem and talk to people who have solutions. There are people out there who have spent their entire career studying this and come up with practical solutions that work. We know this. They cannot because the narrative is too powerful for them right now. And in some ways, maybe Adams can't even overcome it in terms of governing, like the narrative has to stay and you see it repeated over and over again in the pages of most mainstream media publications and on cable news. And it's frustrating to people who are living in the reality because it's frustrating. You can't even, that information about facts about the crime commission rates, how they're rising. It's not just fear. It's a justifiable fear for people who ride the subways. It's a justifiable uh, fear in my town now to get carjacked. People's behavior is changing as a result so the fact that carjackings have spiked most of the kids doing them are 15 14 years old and have a lot of guns so these are realities but they don't want to talk about the reality they want to talk about the overarching systemic issues because that's a lot easier because they don't have to get into the dirty details of what's happening in this country and some of our cities
0: uh i mean it's 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 very depressing but it also it goes to the larger political story of the moment, um, which is this kind of systemic collapse of the democratic agenda and the uh, reputation of the Biden administration. We are, we are uh, a week away. We are, we're seeing story after story about Democrats panicking, um, about, uh, the cascading the sort of the, uh, uh, the multiple uh, failures last week, everything sort of coming home to roost last week, the Supreme court uh, saying that the OSHA vaccine mandate was unconstitutional Biden's ridiculous 48 hour. We're going to end the filibuster to pass voting rights when ended as he was driving to Capitol Hill by uh, Kirsten Cinema making a speech saying, I'm not going to vote to eliminate the filibuster before he could even get there, uh, people say, you know, why is Biden even, you know, why isn't he summoning people to the White House and reading them the Riot Act? Why is he going to Capitol Hill? I don't understand a lot of this. I don't understand what Biden is doing. Why isn't he trumpeting his successes? What where's where's the messaging? You know, Wednesday is his hundredth day in office, or it will be the anniversary of his first year in office. He is going to give a press conference on Wednesday that is going to be very 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 interesting because this is not a happy anniversary for him um he is in he is in uh he is just facing multiple defeats and failures constant questioning about this uh, confusion on testing and the fact that uh the, the the national public health authorities have now completely slipped uh slip the chain like um, there are multiple guidances multiple advices, multiple ideas being expressed by different figures in the you know in the federal government's uh, health bureaucracy about when to test, how long isolation periods should be, when to mask what kind of mask you have to wear should you do you even do you even bother wearing a mask if it's a cloth mask? You listen to them, you listen to Walensky or Fauci or whoever taught, they're not saying the same things. They're not on the same page. Nobody knows how to make sense of this. There's all this talk about how we need to test and we need to get tests, and no one's going to have tests till March. Uh, you know, this flood of new tests. Even as, you know, particularly here in New York, um, Omicron is 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 dying out. I mean, the you look at the chart the precipitous decline of the number of positive tests over the last four days is really startling and it is a sign just as we saw in South Africa and in Britain that um, this is a you know flare up and die out variant (sighs) what is he gonna say (laughs) like and then again getting to crime and all of that like this country is not in good shape and he is the president and Trump is no longer the president and he can't blame Trump anymore. And the Democrats don't know what to say or do. And uh, Noah, sorry.
1: Yeah. Just that there's this, uh, an interesting dynamic in my view, <clears throat> where it's obviously the left that has convinced the president to take a, a variety of positions that are out of step with the public. And as a, because they're out of step with the public, they have failed. Um, <clears throat> and, They've convinced themselves that this is a whole series of disasters and they haven't gotten anything done when they have two very popular bipartisan initiatives that uh, passed this administration um, with the support of Republicans in Congress, COVID relief last February and the bipartisan infrastructure deal, the hard infrastructure deal. They don't want to talk those up because it's insufficient to the the moment. They've decided that it needs to be very progressive, very transformative, and very quick. And both those have failed and they're despondent over those failures. But that failure could actually position this administration to come back. Um, Had these legislative initiatives, these left-wing legislative initiatives succeed, it would have only deepened what CBS News, the CBS News YouGov poll over the weekend determined um, was that the biggest problem that the public is facing right now, in their view, is obviously the pandemic, second only to inflation, which is very close. Um, had Build Back Better passed, it would have exacerbated uh, the uh, inflationary pressures on the economy, which would have uh, only only deepened the hole that the president finds himself in. And the CBS uh, poll also found that um, fewer than half described this administration as competent, effective, or focused. And it's been the case since the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which has left the headlines, but continues to linger as a source of frustration among voters, a source of consternation among voters. It's a, As you said a couple of times, John, it's sort of the slow acting poison. But allowing these left wing initiatives to fail and moving on to something that's much more relevant to the public could absolutely bring this administration back from the brink. There's three years left on this proposition, and if we've gotten this out of our system now, there's no reason to believe that the administration can't can't make a comeback here. I mean, we have an example in the
0: famous person of Dick Morris. Clinton becomes president in 93, taxed to the left, goes with Clinton care. The Democratic Party is shellacked within an inch of its life. Interestingly enough, the voice of progressivism, not that that was a term that we were using then in the White House was Leon Panetta, who was the White House chief of staff, now thought of as being something of a, of a sort of Democratic right winger, because when he became defense secretary, he actually he was a he was a he was a pretty tough guy, but then was sort of rep- was a California congressman and repped, basically repped the uh, progressive view in the Democratic Party. And uh, Clinton uh, took a look at what happened to him and the party in 94. And Clinton, who, of course, had had himself gone through a transition like this as governor, 78, elected as a reformist Democrat, governed, serve as a liberal, thrown out in 1980, uh, Arkansas having a two-year governorship comes back in 82 as a completely new kind, as as one of these new Democrats, right? Sort of like much more moderate, leaning conservative, favors the death penalty, blah, 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 blah. He literally repeats the same pattern. And the architect of his move to the right as governor was Dick Morris. And he brought Dick Morris back in 1995 to save him from himself. And so there was Panetta and there was Morris and he started listening to Morris and not to Panetta. Okay. Biden is not Clinton. Uh, Clinton made a mistake and he made the same mistake twice, which is interesting. He misread the room. He thought a 43% election in 1992 meant that it was time for, you know, the government to take over the take over healthcare. Um, Uh, so that experience Biden did not learn from as an example in the past not to follow but where does Biden turn for this for this move to the center? Who's the voice of the move to the center in the in the Democratic Party? James Carville? Carville is like 112 years old. You know, I mean, who is it? Who's going to be his guy? What is the what is the body of opinion or the, the who are the people that he can bring in? who can help him wrench himself away from the Democratic Party's consensus view, which is much stronger and much more powerful than it was back in Clinton's day. Not only that, he's he's already designated those
3: people the enemy. I mean, they're on they're on the side of uh, segregationists, you know, that that's there's no there's not going to be there's no bridge, you know, that that, that's
0: going to be built there. Well, you know, you can't hold him. He's an old man. It's <laughs> with He was he was mad. You know, he was mad. Then someone gave him a some prune whip, and he 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 got he was better. You know, it's mm-hmm. fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, I I don't really know. It's in other words, like the. The, the line, David Brooks has taken it. Uh, Noah, I think, spelled it out. We've all been saying this, like, well, what is he crazy like? Take the win. Take the win with the bipartisan infrastructure bill. The bipartisan message works. People want to hear it. They want to see you working together. You could do it with the Electoral Reform Act, revising the electoral. A lot of Republicans want to do that, right? The Democratic Party does not want to make a deal on the Electoral Reform Act with with Republicans because it is the axiomatic view of most of the people you know, in leadership positions in the party that Republicans want to destroy democracy and we can never vote. Anything they would vote for, we should not vote for because they're evil. And so we have to vote for our own thing, however you want to slice it. I don't understand how Biden does this very rational thing, which is move to the center. I
1: think what we're learning well, it doesn't is have to be moved to the center. I move
0: I, I, further off the
1: left then. I don't know. Where is it? Where do you move? I to? mean, it's just as it's just a, a matter of framing. I suppose it is centrist insofar as it is a matter of concern to the most people, most of whom are in the center. They are independent, but it's not a centrist move to focus on the priorities that are shared by most of the public. That's not a policy prescription. It's just a matter of attention to detail. But you have to do something with that shift in focus. You do, but you also just have to talk about it. I mean, if no one's going to say that the Biden administration is you know, it was going to throw the Biden administration out on its ear because it didn't wrap its hands around COVID, I really just don't think that's the case. Uh, otherwise, they would have done so to you know, many more politicians who are much more deserving of it. Um, but all he has to do is, you know, seem focused on it. Uh, And that hasn't been the legislative priority in this Congress and out of this White House for the last six months or so. That and inflation. I mean, he talks he began to talk about inflation in terms of how my pre-existing agenda will address inflation, which suggests they're aware of the problem. Um, But, yeah, a rhetorical shift would do a lot of a lot of help here, I think. But even there, but even
2: there, they they they. They snatched radicalism from the jaws of potential moderation all the time. I mean, just look over the weekend. So Glenn Youngkin comes into office as the new governor of Virginia. He says, no more mask mandates. You cannot force kids to wear masks in schools. He did not say that you can't wear a mask. You're, if you're a parent, you want to send your kid to school with a mask, you can do that. There's nothing that says you can't. What you cannot do is insist that all these very young children for whom masking is really not protective or necessary and is, we know, harmful to their ability to learn, You don't have to do that anymore. Just lifting the mask mandate. Jen Psaki, the this administration spokesperson starts tweeting all these obnoxious statements. Well, as a parent in this county, I'm so glad because some of the more liberal counties closest to, to D.C. immediately said, well, we're doubling down on masks. Now your kid, not only do they have to wear a mask to go to school, so they increase the mandate in, in direct uh, violation of what the governor just said, they are going to have to wear a K-95 mask which, or they're going to have to double mask with surgical masks. So they're doubling down. And the president's Uh, press secretary is like, yeah, let's do this. I'm so glad we're totally ignoring what the democratic process gave us, which was an elected governor who ran on the fact that he was going to remove some of these restrictions and won. So the party of governance at every opportunity to, to virtue signal on something COVID related takes it. And I know she's just a press secretary. She's not setting policy, but she is the face of this administration daily on television. And when she speaks, people listen to her and that is bad. Like either rein her in and say, you you know, stop tweeting about a local thing where local people are making decisions You know, based on what the governor's new policy is, i.e. how democracy works. Um, just stop, but they can't. They can't help themselves. And that speaks to what I think, Noah, you've said all along during this pandemic, which is it's become a kind of signaling device for people on the left in order to justify draconian and unnecessary and unscientific things at this point to make themselves feel that they are politically superior, morally superior to the people on the other side of the aisle.
0: It is always a mistake, Abe, to think, that people can't change. Politicians change all the time. George W. Bush thought that his uh, governorship was going to be a little like what Biden said, that it was going to be an effort to bring Democrats and Republicans together. He, you know, he did this, uh, he did the no child left behind bill in tandem with Teddy Kennedy, all of that. And then nine 11 happened. And the entire focus of his administration changed in response to that crisis and 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 justifiably so he became a different kind of president he had a different kind of focus a different kind of uh, controversy erupted and how he was going to handle it you you can change so let's talk about what might be happening this week that Biden is going to have to respond to I mean it is looking like Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine We have all these signals, all the the cyber attack on 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 Kiev and uh, various other things going on, Um, the way the negotiations went in Vienna last week, um, the belligerence of of the Russians claiming that they might uh, if we keep talking the way we're talking, they're going to they're going to reposition nuclear weapons to make them more threatening to NATO and the West and us, that kind of thing, uh, all of which. Obviously, if the move comes, Biden is going to have to respond to the entire world is going to be looking to Biden to see what the response is. And the response will have a couple of features, right? There'll be a there'll be a rhetorical response. Uh, There will be an organizational response, which is to say, you know, who will he enlist in a serious alliance uh, against what's going on and then there will have to be a policy response either militarily financially uh you know uh, cyberly wh- whatever it is, you know covertly and overtly um do you see any indication from the way the administration has been behaving that uh they are going to be able to provide a response that will I don't know. Uh, do America pr- I don't even mean. That's not even me? talking really? about what we? No, no. But I'm asking Abe. I okay. think. Look, I, 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 I wouldn't be shocked at all. In fact, I
3: suspect that that, in the in the, in the event of a of a Russian invasion, the the American response would, would would be, I guess, adequate. The problem is, once that happens, it means the administration has already failed. Um, the, the point was to n- not to have this happen in the first place. And, and that is where I think Biden has already has already failed or will have already failed. Responding adequately to a crisis is not the same thing as changing, though, um, uh, fundamentally, um, you know, like uh, uh, when when the you know, when the Yazidis were under threat in, in Iraq. Uh, Obama, you know, sent in troops to to get, get, help get them off that mountain and other. That. That's a crisis. He was still not not interested in in waging a a war in in, in, in continuing the war in Iraq. Um, it was it was a sort of it was a a, a window that 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 had to be addressed where some, something had happened. And but so yeah, I, I think I, I would be shocked if 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 the response um, is is um, as weak as everything that's led up to uh, what looks like a certain Putin
1: invasion. The Atlantic Alliance is wholly unprepared for what it would actually entail in the event of the real deal a full-scale invasion of Ukraine up to the Dnieper or even to to Sakyev. Um, That would be a real land war in Europe. It would really create a giant refugee crisis in Central Europe, It would really necessitate the involvement of covert forces from European powers and uh, uh, unaffiliated irregulars uh, from within Europe and within Russia. Uh, It would be a full-scale disaster, and the time to avert that is now, and we are not seeing a preventative response to this, which would entail a variety of things, uh, including the repositioning of naval assets into the Black Sea, a significant deployment into Poland and the Baltic states, and including pre preemptive concessions diplomatic concessions to the russian position because the russian position is real they really do feel threatened even though we think it's irrational it is a position that they hold so it would be something along the lines of a unilateral reinstatement of a uh, a limited uh, ballistic missile uh, treaty which we abrogated they abrogated has been dead but say let's let's reinstate we'll 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 unilaterally observe uh, intermediate Range Missile Treaty in Europe again. Uh, something like that would probably go a long way to de-escalating the crisis, give them something a face-saving off-ramp, which they have nothing now. Uh, right now, there's nothing on the table beyond talk shopping and preparing for a response to an invasion, which is already too late, talking it up at the United Nations General Assembly, wholly inadequate to the situation. That's what they're contemplating now, uh, which is only making the crisis more real, more acute and urgent. Look, I mean, the question is,
0: what what homily uh, did uh, Joey Biden's grandfather offer him that he can throw at Putin? You know, I mean that that's where we are. This is why you have one has every reason to have very little faith, even in the easiest part of this, which is the rhetoric. And the rhetoric is kind of the easiest part because you could say whatever and then not not live up to it. I mean, which is which is bad, but I mean, you can say. You know, we will not stand for this behavior. This is, you know, this is destabilizing the world. Putin is evil. We will not rest until the until Ukraine is free and whole, da, 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 da. He's not even capable of doing that.
1: In and and In that sense, Putin has already achieved a significant victory insofar as the focus is now on the territorial sovereignty of everywhere else that isn't already occupied. And Crimea is an afterthought. The Donbass region is an afterthought. It's basically allowing for the prospect of uh, legitimately carving off the, illegitimately carving off these territorial um, uh, offshoots, of semi-autonomous offshoots of these neighboring Soviet countries, Georgia, Mol- uh, Moldova, uh, all these other places where there are frozen conflicts. And just saying, well, okay, as long as you know, you threaten the rest of the country, then you can have that that chunk. That's already baked into the cake here in that sense this has been a a very successful gambit but from the kremlin's perspective
0: um in the 90s again with clinton uh you know there was a civil war on the european continent obviously a, a very grotesque and awful genocidal civil war in the former Yugoslavia, and there was a lot of trouble and a lot of you know a lot of complications and conflict about what to do about it and blah 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 but eventually uh nato moved right i mean nato there was a there was a war launched against the separatists and you know again not against separatists but i mean against the non-separatists um uh you know 48 days of bombing and the point about clinton is that he was able to shift gears he like like biden and like obama uh, did not want to engage in military action if he could help it. He obviously came to his political majority as somebody writing that letter explaining why he was going to renege on his ROTC commitment. Uh, and you know, and and basically cheat <laughs> cheat Georgetown out of uh, out of you know what it had given him. All of that, or Harvard, whatever the hell it was that he, you know, that famous letter he wrote to uh to the people who've given him a scholarship however it works like but he had he he was you know he was fran tarkenton he you know a broken play and he could scramble and shift gears and stuff like that and biden doesn't know how to do that he thought he was making a you know he was swinging for the fences by going dovish and, and and slightly pacifist by pulling everybody out of afghanistan now now you know in in a much more difficult set of circumstances he has two choices one of which is to either get hawkish or the other is to is to is to uh kind of be complicit or uh stand by mutely and impotently as this as this depredation takes place on on the continent of europe that's why i think all of this talk about how you know Biden really needs to shift gears. It's good. It's good that he hears this. It's good he reads David David's column, telling him he needs to shift gears and go centrist and all of that. But it's not static. The whole point is that things are accelerating. Bad disorder disorder accelerates. Uh, you know, this is a direct result of Afghanistan. The crime wave in you know in the United States. What's going on in New York? This is a direct result of Democratic policies. Democratic. Or, you know, uh, cities and states and the federal government taking up uh, policies that um, that are frankly injurious to public order and, uh, and, and the consequences of them, as we can see, and we haven't even talked about inflation and the supply chain crises that are making these empty shelves and all these supermarkets all over the country and all of that. Like, this is all happening at once. It's not, you know, it's not strands you can separate out. Um, you know, it's all collapsing at once. And he not only isn't fleet of foot, he's, you know, he puts his foot in his mouth and, and calls the people he used to negotiate with, you know, Jefferson Davis, Bull Connor, and George Wallace. Like, you know, that's really, you know, great. I mean, that's really, uh, that was a, that was a, a brilliant, a brilliant rhetorical flourish on his part, really gives you confidence for the rhetorical flourish. You might try with, uh, you know, with the Russians. Um, uh, It's enough to give you a pain in the back. So look, get the X chair It's going to be a hard year watching all this happen. You're going to be distracted at work. You're going to be worried. You're going to be tense. You're going to dread sitting down at your desk because your chair is uncomfortable. So get a comfortable chair, at least, while you watch the world burn. Thanks to my X chair I actually look forward to sitting in my office or at my desk at home, because my body feels so much more supported and comfortable. Comfort means more productivity, helping my X-chair pay for itself, thanks to how much more work I get done every day. If I'm feeling tight or stressed, I just turn on the LMX massage feature and choose from four different massage options. If the office is running too hot or too cold, I just flip on the LMX temperature regulation and either heat or cool my lower back. And once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic, a variable lumbar, or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. So take my advice. Try X Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back, I promise. Go to xchaircommentary.com. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call one 844 4 x Chair for $100 off your order. X Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchaircommentary.com. Um, what other bad news can we... we share with everybody
1: what other depressing sad horrible news well (laughs) we're talking about military affairs right now and um we have every indication that there's a readiness crisis in the military as it relates to covid over the course of last week while i was away uh there's a couple of headlines that i want to bring to our attention from the associated press quote the u.s army for the first time is offering A maximum enlistment bonus of $50,000 to highly skilled recruits who sign up for six years, the service is struggling to lure soldiers into certain critical jobs amid the continuing pandemic. Uh, Sort of a throwaway line there, but when you dig into it, you find that Army commanders have received um, a total of six active duty leaders, including two battalion commanders and issued 2,900 some odd general officers written reprimands for soldiers who refused the vaccination order Um, they're they're not they're not ready for deployment Um, now that's not a ton of American military officials or American soldiers but it masks a broader problem with relation to readiness which was already an issue prior to the onset of COVID and now vaccine mandates are contributing to that condition uh, at a time when we are desperately in need of options to deter our near-peer competitors, great power adversaries. Uh, and it's a self-inflicted wound, one that they're not imposing on themselves.
0: Another parallel to the 1970s, horrible readiness crisis post, post-Vietnam. Uh, you know, there was a point at which uh, uh, a nightmarish survey was done that revealed that 40% of, uh, mem- of um, uh, active duty uh, members of the U.S. Armed Forces were... Um, were seriously engaged in uh, the use of illegal drugs. Uh, I think that was 1979. Um, this is not a comparable thing. It just speaks to what happens when a country loses. You know, when when people who uh, who serve in the military no longer believe that the public uh, has their back, or that the politicians who run them, or the president who you know for whom you know who who was their commander in chief um is really all that interested in them and that they're just there you know sort of like uh marking time and for the ride i again these well, are I, all i've
1: seen a. Yeah. i've seen a galaxy brain take and i know i don't know how uh you know, widespread it is but it was one that i think gave some comfort to people who like this sort of thing and want to justify it is that vaccine mandates in the, in the military are doing a really great job of rooting out right-wing extremists in our uh, in the ranks because vaccine hesitancy is seen by some as a proxy issue for general white right-wing maliciousness. Uh, and they're, they're totally comfortable with booting these people out of any institution they happen to find themselves in, especially in, in uh, institutions operated and maintained by the federal government. So maybe this is just a good way of purging the ranks of political undesirables.
2: Tragically, the people on the left who have those who want to serve are much smaller group, right? I mean, this is the the military is is not uh, known for uh, recruiting from the progressive left. Let's just say.
0: Um. Yeah. So. I mean, look, crushing morosity, the brand, the time, America, great. How to. Some ways look. The week last week was great. I mean, it was great for the idea that what the what Biden and the leftist Democrats want is unworkable, unconstitutional, unreasonable, and that they're shooting themselves in the foot with the policies that they are advocating, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. What's bad is having an incompetent president who is not only wrong-handed but incompetent, and and that incompetence is terror is is getting to be terrifying, because, um, you know, this is where that whole idea comes, where people say oh, you shouldn't, you know, you don't want, you know, oh, it's terrible. People are wishing for the failure of the president of the party uh, that, you know, that th- they don't vote for, right? Uh, that's terrible. How da- You know, Obama, when Rush Limbaugh and, and McConnell said they wanted Obama to fail, that's terrible. You should want the president to succeed because the country succeeds. Blah, 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 though, obviously, uh, that was not something that was shared by people who, uh, looked at Trump and wanted Trump to fail desperately, uh, because they thought that the country that he would sort of create as a success would be a, would be a a horror show to them. Um, nobody wants this. Let me just say this. Nobody, where we are now, COVID confusion, rising crime, rising inflation, empty shelves, you know, uh, cost 40% more than it did last year to buy a used car, um, Readiness crises, uh, uh, anti-American forces on the march all over the place, possible rising terrorism, certainly rising, you know, decay. Nobody wants this. Of course, you want the president to succeed in that sense, because what you see when you see this kind of failure is terrifying. And we got nowhere to go for three years. You know, nothing's going to come in and save us from this. And the only salvation in that sense would be worse, that if somehow he were superseded by Kamala Harris, I don't think that we're looking at her and thinking she, she would do any better, would probably do worse. So that is the uh, conundrum here, which is that we don't want Biden to succeed because we don't think his policies are good. But one of the reasons we don't think his policies are good is because this is what these policies are leading to. This is not just, you know, an ideological hatred or not wanting Democrats to have jobs that uh, Republicans could have or something like that. It's that when people advocate these policies, bad things happen in the world and they've happened much more quickly and much more frighteningly than any of us. You know, if we had sat down and said, you know, 2020, this, 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 this and this are going to happen. Right. If you did just sort of laid out where life would be on the first anniversary of Biden's presidency, um people would say, Oh, for God, what are you talking about? There's not going to be inflation. There's not going to be, I mean, there'll be job growth. Uh, you know, economy would grow, retail sales certainly wouldn't fall in December. Yada yada yada. Da, da, da. I mean, what are you nuts? That's ridiculous. You couldn't have predicted how bad this was going to go. And and the situation that we're in now. You couldn't. Um, in part because we do sort of think America is going to succeed. In spite of in spite of bad political leadership, well, now we're having our test case. So we will be back tomorrow with. I, I can't imagine we'll have better news tomorrow, uh, but it, we'll try. We'll see if we can find something uh, with something good to say. So for Abe, Christina, Noah, I'm John Poporitz. Keep the candle burn.